My name is Steve, and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Please follow along in your own Bible or uh, in the digital, digital bulletin online. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the, the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said, Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may not, they may have left, they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's not, he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of, of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This, char this charge I have received from my Father. There, again, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has, a, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to True North Church, especially for those that are new or visiting for the first time. My and I'm one of the members of the pastoral staff here. And we are uh, in the middle of, uh, or just beginning our sermon series through the uh, passages in John where John or Jesus proclaims uh, his I am statements. Uh, he proclaims I am uh, a, a lot of things, you know, and last week we talked about uh, how, he, how he described himself as before Abraham was I am, right? And this week we are going to talk about two I am statements which are closely related. Uh, he talks about one which maybe if you grew up in church you are very familiar with as he proclaims himself as I am the good shepherd. And for those maybe even if you have grown up in church you never really thought about this statement that Jesus makes, I am the door of the sheep. Like, what the heck does that even mean, right? So we'll be kind of talking about those two things. And uh, before we get into that, uh, just as a way of introduction, and the theme of this passage is really going to be about what it means for Jesus uh, proclaiming these statements uh, to really let his readers or the people kind of listening in understand that when he describes himself as the door of the sheep and the uh, good shepherd, that he is speaking in terms of his leadership, that he is one who, to be able, uh, who is completely able to be trusted and one who is completely without corruption. Now, there's a famous quote that says, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolute, or absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, but there's a second part of the quote that is often never quoted or forgotten. And it says, great men are almost always bad men. 
And the more I live, uh, the more I understand uh, the truth and validity of this quote, right? Uh, when we think about just really the, the, the ad, uh, aspirations of people who are great or desire to be great, oftentimes, uh, in order to be great according to the standard of this world, there comes with it a little bit of evil, right? Um, it, it, it's just, you know, the older I get, and as you guys have all, you know, witnessed news, we see uh, just the fallenness and, and the, the moral... Um, you know, the moral failures of so many people uh, that might be great or considered good leaders. Um, now, in my younger days, uh, I had aspirations uh, of being great and making a name for myself. And, you know, and I would tell myself I would be the exception to this quote. And, you know, for many of you guys, I'm sure you guys also have ambitions and aspirations to do great things and, and try great things and achieve great things. And no one ever goes into uh, having aspirations or having, uh, you know, wanting to do great things and think, oh, I'm also going to be corrupt and evil, right? My desire is also to be as evil as I can be. No one, no one, no one does that, right? But it's really this idea of how power and, and just, you know, um, having authority can oftentimes bleed into and corrupt uh, just our desires, right? And this even just kind of like thinking about being great and, and having authority oftentimes leads us to doing things that might be questionable or doing things in order to achieve those type of uh, greatness. And the church, unfortunately, is also not immune to this type of corruption, right? As a matter of fact, probably, and there's a possibility that our church cultures in the, in the evangelical world or in the Christian world or even just in Christian politics, uh, even of themselves, there is a possibility, maybe a more likelihood that people in leadership and in authority will become corrupt and will uh, abuse their power and authority for their own gain. And just the past several years, we have found out uh, many of these pastors uh, being exposed for their moral failures and their moral misconduct. Right, Ravi Zacharias, if you guys don't know who he is, uh, he was a famous Christian apologist with a huge ministry and he was exposed uh, for his blatant sexual misconduct and his blatant sins, right? Um, the Hillsong's pastor, the founding pastor of Hillsong's, uh, Brian Houston, he was, uh, you know, now been, you know, charged with covering up the sexual abuse of his father, who was also a pastor, uh, of abusing uh, young, young children. Um, Carl Lentz, if you guys don't know who he is, he's Justin Bieber's pastor. I don't know, you know that's like his claim to fame. Uh, he was also uh, found out to be having multiple affairs outside of marriage uh, and just his sexual misconduct there. And even here locally in the Bay, whether you are famous as a pastor or even unknown, uh, there have been many, many stories and instances where people, uh, pastors have known to have moral failures and have fallen recently, you know. Um, Fingers crossed, right, guys? Just, <laughs> and that's just the reality. I can't, I can't assume that I am immune to that, right? Of course not. And we have come to a point where perhaps we are afraid because of this and maybe even hesitant uh, to place any type of trust in human leadership. Right, to even be um, kind of even be willing to follow somebody. And I think this is the reason why uh, conspiracy theories are easy to believe and you know i'm not gonna lie like I'm, I'm seriously on the cusp of believing that bill gates is completely evil right just 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 because of everything that's going on you know i mean if you think about his mode like he's creating baby formula and vaccines and be like well but why you know like it might, he must be you know so evil anyways um that's just me but 
What we read here in, in this passage as Jesus is talking about something that might be culturally very outside of our spectrum, something that we might read and we might hear and just kind of assume a certain type of cultural religion that we might have grown up with, uh, we want to be able to dissect that and figure out, well, what is Jesus actually claiming and what is he actually talking about when he says that he is the door of the sheep and when he says that he is the good shepherd? And like I mentioned in the beginning, what he is referring to is the fact that unlike human leaders, unlike the corruption and the power abusive people that have been in the history of the world, that he is a shepherd, a leader that can completely be trusted and who is without evil and corruption. So we're gonna look at this passage. We're gonna look at two main things. First, we're gonna kind of dissect what it means when Jesus claims, I am the door of the sheep. And we're gonna see what, uh, what Jesus is inferring by that. Then we're gonna look at this, uh, the phrase, I am the good shepherd, and we're gonna kind of dissect what that means. And then we're gonna just end with just a few applications uh, based on those two statements. So first, when Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, again, we, you might have read this and never even assumed that Jesus makes this claim, right? Because it's a really weird thing to say, I am the, I am the door of the sheep. But we have to understand uh, to kind of explain the context of what's going on. Now, Jesus, when in these statements, he doesn't really explain much because the people of uh, that time, they completely understood what he's talking about. But for us, we are not people who understand much about shepherding, sheep, sheep pens, or anything like that, right? Um, I don't know about you guys, but the last time I saw a sheep was many years ago, you know, at a random farm because of my child's field trip. But even then, I have no, I have no understanding about sheep. But the people here in this time, they understood everything about sheep. And what we have to understand is when Jesus is talking about uh, being a shepherd and, and, and you know, being the gay of the sheep, he's talking about two different types of sheep pen. And for them, they understood exactly what he's talking about. But for us, we have to understand what, he's, what he means. So in the first section, he's talking about a sheep pen that exists within villages and cities. Okay? In the second section, when he talks about he is the good shepherd, he's talking about a type of sheep pen that exists out in the wilderness. So the best way for us to understand this is in the first section, he's talking about a parking garage in San Francisco, okay? And in the second section, he's talking about a wide open parking lot in Gilroy, okay? So in this first sheep pen, what he's referring to is a sheep pen that exists in a city or a village where there's actually a gatekeeper and it's a very, uh, a big pen with an enclosure and many different shepherds would come and bring their sheep to sleep and protect, be protected overnight. And the only way to enter this sheep pen is by talking to the gatekeeper and kind of saying, hey, you know, you saw me earlier. I dropped off my sheep. Let me come and get retrieve my sheep. And what Jesus says is that those who do not enter through the door, they are thieves and robbers. Basically, the only people that are going to enter through a different way than, the, uh, than through the gate are people who are there to steal these sheep. And then in verse six, he says, this figure of speech, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, I mean, number one, who's them? And what, what does he mean by this? And what we understand is that chapter 10 is connected to chapter nine. Okay? Oftentimes we read the Bible and we think the different chapter breaks means that there's like a whole other event. But what we see is that in chapter nine and chapter 10, there is no uh, separation. So there is no port where it says, and then the next day, or then after these things. So Jesus in chapter 10, as he's talking about being the uh, gate of the sheep and the good shepherd, it's one event from Je uh, John chapter 9. 
And we don't have the time to completely get into John chapter 9, so I'm going to give you guys the cliff note version. John chapter 9 is an event, a very famous story, where Jesus heals a man that was born blind. Uh, he does so by spitting on the ground, making a little bit of mud, and rubbing in his eyes. Very COVID-unfriendly stuff, right? But he does this, and it says that this man was born blind. And this is very interesting and very important, because even back then, even though they might not have the same modern technology and, and medic, you know, medical advances that we, we have today, the people understood that there's a very huge difference between someone who was born blind and someone who became blind after birth. And the disciples, they see this man and they ask Jesus a question. They say, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Uh, see, the, and the question is like, how, if this man was born blind, how did he sin? Well, they believed that babies could sin in the womb, right? So they, they, they assumed there's got to be something Nothing bad's going to happen to you unless there was some kind of sin. And Jesus responds, I tell you, neither this man nor the parents sinned, but it is to show you now the, the, the power of God. And then he spits on the ground, rubs in his eyes, heals him. The Pharisees see this, and they're, they're, they're angry. Why? Number one, the main reason, because Jesus did something miraculous, only something that can be done by the power of God, and they don't like Jesus. And number two, they're going to say, because he did this on the Sabbath. So they're figuring out, like, hey, first of all, let's figure out if this man was truly blind. So they, they go and ask him, were you, hey, were you really born blind? He's like, yeah, I was born blind. Now I can see. Like, we don't believe you. We're going to ask your parents. So they go ask his parents, hey, uh, was your son really born blind? And, they, and their response is, yeah, he was born blind. But you ask him for yourself because he's of age. And the reason they respond in that way is because they didn't want to be uh, held accountable. They didn't want to be uh, ostracized or, or canceled by the Pharisees. So they're like, hey, you, you ask him, he's of age. And, and basically what that means is that there were two or three witnesses to the miraculous event that Jesus had healed a man that was born blind. And then because they're angry at this, they're like, how dare you do this on the Sabbath day? How dare you do this on the Sabbath day? So then now Jesus says in chapter 10, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by a sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He is saying this directed at the Pharisees. He's saying you hide behind religion, you hide behind your conservative religious leadership and assume that you are part of the sheeple, but actually you've never entered through the gate. You are thieves and robbers. You are people who are here to mislead and misguide the sheep who have entered through the gate. And then he says, I am the gate of the sheep or I am the door of the sheep. Meaning these sheep have entered through me. Therefore they are part of the sheepfold. You hide behind your conservative religion and assume that you are part of the sheeple when in fact you are nothing more than thieves and robbers who are here to mislead them from seeing who I am. Now the term thieves and robbers, um, the word thieves means people who are like, who steal from uh, deception, so con artists. Robbers are people who steal through force, so like armed robbers. And basically what he's saying are, are your conservative Phariseeism are people who use deception and force to guide people out of the sheepfold. I mean, we saw it right there in chapter 9. They were trying to deceive the people by saying that Jesus did something sinful on the Sabbath. 
they're trying to use force by trying to, uh, you know, kind of be abusive and, and threaten the parents like, hey, did, was he really born blind? I mean, there's those examples of that. So what we assume or what we see here in this statement is that Jesus is making a claim of exclusivity. He's saying the only way that you can be a part of the sheepfold is if you enter through me, is if you come through me. There's going to be many different teachers, many different uh, teachings that will say that there is another way into the sheepfold. And he's not just speaking against the conservative Pharisees. He's, he's speaking about any different way. He said, any person that enters through a different way other than through me, they are thieves and robbers. They can seem conservative. They can seem liberal. They can seem charismatic. They can seem dull. They can seem very intellectual. They can seem very spirit-filled. But if they do not enter through me, then they are people who are trying to mislead and misguide you. Then he talks about, I am the good shepherd. All right. Um, so not only is he talking about uh, the teaching of exclusivity, that it is only through Jesus that you may enter into the sheepfold, but now he's talking about what it means to be the good shepherd. Now, here's a, here's a little trick. Whenever the authors of the Gospels talk about a certain time period or certain festival or certain dedication, it's very easy for us to ignore. But when we kind of look into it, then we'll understand the context. So here in chapter 10, verse 22, John gives us a very, uh, a very interesting clue. He says, um, these things happened at the time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Okay, I was like, what was going on? I thought there was like a mouse like scratching, scratching something. Okay, so the question is, what is the Feast of Dedication? What is the Feast of Dedication? It happened in winter. Um, upon some study, I find out that the Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah, okay? Now, what, what is Hanukkah, right? I mean, for us, if you did not grow up Jewish or if you don't have any close Jewish friends, we just assume that Hanukkah is a Jewish Christmas, right? That, that's, that's kind of what you grow up thinking, right? Um, the only uh, understanding of Hanukkah I had was an Adam Sandler song. Um, and if you guys are, are, are too young or too old, sorry. I think, uh, I, I think it's the watch. Okay, okay, yeah. So, you know, but, so we assume that um, Hanukkah is just Jewish Christmas. Uh, but when we think about what actually Hanukkah is, is this. So uh, in 332 BC, uh, Alexander the Great conquered all of Asia Minor, right? Uh, the Jewish people included. And because of this, uh, there was a movement or there was just a natural progression where the Greek uh, culture infiltrated into Jewish culture. And, be, and more and more, there were people who were heading towards Greek culture and, and adopting Greek culture and abandoning Jewish culture. And, and so that the Greek culture, they, they actually uh, translated um, the Hebrew Bible into Greek. More and more people were no longer able to read Hebrew. More and more people were kind of uh, going away from uh, their Hebrew culture, adopting Greek culture. And whenever there is a push and a pull one way, there's always going to be an opposing force. And because of this, uh, there came a very conservative group of Jewish people who said, we need to abandon all infiltration of Greek culture, and we must hold on more tightly to our Jewish culture. Now, whenever this type of thing happens, um, it, it's never a very balanced view of things. It's always going to be extreme on one side and extreme on the other. 
Now, obviously the power resided with the, the Hellenists. Hellenists are people who uh, uh, sided with the Greeks and they believed, hey, we got all the power. And, and then it kind of, kind of came to a head when um, uh, these Greek soldiers entered into the Jewish temple. They desecrated the temple by you know, pouring pig's blood all over the altar, which is very, very cold, you know, like that's very taboo. They erected an altar and an idol in the temple and they forced the Jewish people to no longer practice, uh, you know, Jewish practices. So no longer were they able to practice the, um, you know, the ceremony of circumcision. And because of this, uh, there was a huge uprising. There was a leader by the name of Judas Maccabeus. He led this uprising against the Greeks, and it was called the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, there was a huge battle, a huge fight, uh, basically a small, small militia of conservative Jewish uh, soldiers and people, they fought against uh, the Greeks and, and the Hellenizers. Uh, there was, it was basically kind of the Alamo. Think of the Jewish Alamo. And at that time, Judas Maccabeus, he lit a light in, you know, in his little fort. And supposedly that light lasted eight days without the oil burning out. That's why Hanukkah, they, they light the, the lights for eight days. And what the Jews did now, and that was 165 BC, 165 years later, what the Jews did in celebrating the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah was they would light these lights and they would ask certain questions and they would ask, what went wrong with our shepherds? Because for the Jewish people, leaders were considered shepherds. Moses was a shepherd, David was a shepherd. So the word shepherd was, was an, uh, you know, synonymous with leaders. And during this feast of dedication, they would light these lights and they would ask these questions. What went wrong with our shepherds? What went wrong with our leadership? What went wrong with our Judaism of that time? And it's during this week, this feast of dedication that Jesus now comes against conservative Judaism and says, I am the good shepherd. Now, whenever I see the term good shepherd and maybe perhaps you as well, um, you assume or you think about this picture of Jesus being very gentle, very nurturing. Uh, have you guys ever seen that painting where it's like Jesus, he has like flowy hair, he's like, he has a little baby lamb and he's like petting this baby lamb and there's like other, other sheep around him and it's like peaceful, it looks like sound of music, right? And it's like, oh, you know, it's like, and you're like, oh, Jesus is the good shepherd, right? We assume this. Uh, so we have this picture of a shepherd being very gentle and nourishing, or even just in, in, our, in our churches, when we talk about uh, certain pastors who are like, oh, they're such great shepherds. We're like, oh yeah, that means they're like super nice and gentle and calm and like holy and nourishing. Uh, but when Jesus talks about shepherd, he's talking about more than just like this gentle view. He's talking about a strong, capable leader one who is gonna hold on to the truth of who God is. And, and this word uh, good can also be translated noble. So Jesus says, I am the noble shepherd, one who is not going to be deterred one way or the other. I'm not gonna be uh, pulled by, by the Hellenists here or, or, or the conservatives here. I am the one who holds the line of what it means to be according to God's word. And he says, I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Now, we talked about two different types of sheep pen, right? We talked about um, the one that uh, was in cities and villages, basically, uh, you know, a parking garage in San Francisco. You can only enter if you get your ticket, 
and the gate opens. And you can only exit if you push your ticket in after you paid, and then you can exit, right? The gate opens. This sheep pen that Jesus is referring to in the second portion is the one out in Gilroy. It's just an open field. So a sheep pen out in the, out in the wilderness, um, they would put rocks along as a wall. It's a big open space, and there would only be one little opening in between the rock wall. And what shepherds would do to protect their sheep is that night they would lay down on that opening to make sure that no predators can come in. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep, he is talking about a message of protection. That he will lay down to face all dangers and predators to make sure that his sheep are protected from any kind of predation. And what we see here is that Jesus meant more than that because we now have the, uh, uh, you know, the ability to see into the future or the past, and we know that Jesus lay, literally laid down his life, that he died and suffered on the cross for the sake of protecting us from death, for the sake of keeping us safe from the powers of sin and death that this world tries to entangle us in. So Jesus, as the good shepherd, is the image of a leader who has no other agenda other than our protection and obedience to the Father. A leader who is not going to be corrupted by anything that this world has to offer, but a leader who is completely capable of taking our trust and never failing. A leader who is able to understand that in this world of fallen human leaders, he will never be one who will be abusive. He will never be one who would fall short, but that he would protect us at all costs, even at the cost of his own life. He says he is not like a hired hand who runs away at the first sight of danger. He is the good shepherd, the one who lays his life down for the sheep. So when we think about application for this point, I, I realize, um, that we are so willing and able uh, to put a lot of weight on human leaders, right? And we just are. Who, who, who's the cool leader of today now, you know, like in this month, Elon Musk. I bet you like next week is gonna be like, Elon Musk sucks, you know, but right now it's like, ooh, Elon Musk, like so edgy, so cool, right? Elon Musk, I don't know, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna hold my tongue there. Um, but there, there's an infatuation, especially here in this culture, right? Uh, you know, I, I was at a thing, and then they asked, like, oh, if you could be, a, 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 you know, a personal assistant to anybody, like, who would it be? And then I went first. I was like, ooh, Dave Chappelle or Larry David. And then everyone kind of looked at me, and like, and then everyone else said Elon Musk. I was like, oh, <laughs> so I said the wrong answer. Anyways, um, right? But, and then we also have this, you know, desire to place trust in certain politicians. Right? At the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was saying, hey, Gavin Newsom, he needs to run for president. And then like a week later, it's like, oh, he ate at French Laundry, you know? And then, you know, like the Cuomo brothers, they were so cool. Now they're not so cool, right? I mean, there's, there, I mean you, you can take conservative politicians, you can take, you know, liberal politicians, whatever it is, they all expose themselves. And we put so much weight on them thinking that there's going to be some sort of dramatic change for the better when we place our trust in them. And what Jesus is saying is that all the people in this world, have nothing compared to what I can offer, which is that as the good shepherd, I am the one who completely obeys the Father. 
completely obeys the Father. And even for us, um, you know, if, if you're kind of more in the, in the Christian world, we place a heavy emphasis on certain Christian leaders, right? And, and not only the ones that I named, right? But, in, in, you know, for me, um, you know, I, I have a particular fandom of a pastor named Tim Keller. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know what would happen if he failed, right? I think I'll be okay, but still, you know, you, you, you kind of wonder, right? And, and I think what Jesus is mentioning here as he points to the fact that he is the good shepherd is that we live in a world where we are so driven by polar opposites and we are called to choose a certain side of things. And yet here is Jesus saying, no, I am a completely different and separate way and you must follow me. And how do we do that? Jesus says that his sheep recognize his voice his sheep recognize his voice i think many of us are 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 so uh distracted by the different voices that exist in this world in our culture that it's hard for us to distinguish the voice of jesus right Uh, we 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 distract ourselves with so much entertainment we distract ourselves with so many influencers uh you know like where are all your crypto influencers now right uh, we, you, know, you know, I mean, we, 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 we follow all of all the, the latest trends, right? There's, there's you know, and, and, and trends just change so quickly. And yet there's a still consistent, ever truthful voice in Christ that we must recognize. And that is only through the reading of God's word, through understanding who he is, completely separate of anything that this world has to offer. So help us uh, continue to seek out Christ's voice in our lives, understanding that he is the ultimate shepherd who leads us without any misconduct or any controversy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, um, again, your word, teaching us about who you are and the claims that you have. And God, we know, Lord, that every time that you make these statements, uh, that you are being very clear that you are the Son of God. So, Father, with that, help us to believe, help us to understand who you are, and help us, most importantly, to recognize uh, your voice, for we are your sheep. In Jesus' name we pray.